Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and greatness to us. Great is the Lord and worthy of our praise. And so we praise you for all the blessings that you have brought into our life. First and foremost, for your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you that he is our Savior. He is our Lord. We thank you for the faith that you have granted to us that we might believe on him and be blessed with the hope of eternal life. We thank you for your word that speaks to us as we were reminded this morning, not only words of comfort, but also words of warning. I pray, Father God, that we would be eager to hear your word. We thank you for those men that you've been preparing their hearts to bring these lessons from the Psalms. We thank you for Eric. We thank you for his heart for you, his love for the word, and I pray that you would just allow him to be brought to his mind those things that he has studied. Give us ears to hear that we might hear the truths of your word uh, and not only to know them, but then to practice them, to put them into practical application in our lives day by day. And so for all of these gifts, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Eric. So my stuff is already up here, so I'm not going uh, solo. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, there we go. So I just want to follow up on that subs and sandwich. I want to give you a trick. Uh, you know, take this from a, a miser to keep the prime rib for yourself and share peanut butter and jelly with everybody else. So, <laughs> excuse me? Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> no, I mean, this is, you know, a miser, you know. Okay. So, um, so today's psalm is in uh, Psalm 111. So if you could uh, stand for the reading of the God's word and then into prayer. So Psalm 111, starting at verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. Verse 6. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his command, commandments. His praise endures forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for such a privilege it is for us uh, just to come before you, to praise you and to honor you, knowing that we are undeserving and we are praising the deserving. You are deserved of all of our worship and all of our praise. May you open up our minds and our understanding so that we see you more and more throughout this teaching. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've titled this, The Glorious Works of God, Psalm 111. 
And depending on which Bible translation that you're reading from, it may say something along the lines of great are the Lord's works. But even so, uh, it is rightly so, for this psalm is a hymn of praise, celebrating the great works that the Lord has done for his people in calling them to be his and providing for them and preserving them. Now, I'm, I'm making note that this is a two-part series. This is a two-part lesson. And no, you won't have to put up with a miser twice. Um, <laughs> you won't have to suffer with me twice. No, this is a two-part uh, sermon, a two-part teaching in that Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 is oftentimes thought to go together. They both together reveal the mighty works of God uh, displayed by his works on calling his people his provisions for the called, his protection for his people, and then following up in Psalm 112, his power of regenerating his people. Psalm 111, you can say, is the micro picture of God's work over his people. And Psalm 112 is the micro, the smaller picture of God working in his people, in regenerating them. So the purpose of singing these two psalms is, number one, to remind his people of his great marvelous deeds, that's Psalm 111, and to set his people apart for his own as a righteous person, and that is more in Psalm 112. But today's focus, we will be in Psalm 111, studying the works of the Lord, and then next time, uh, we're, we have the privilege of Justin to lead us through Psalm 112, God regenerating his people. So now let us look at Psalm 111, God's work in calling and sustaining his people. So verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. So before the psalmist even begins to call us into worship, he first proclaims worship of the Lord himself. He himself praises the Lord with a, sh uh, with a loud proclamation with a shout hallelujah this is a boastful proclamation of the lord for his great works he is recognizing that what he's about to lead people into is a proclamation and a boasting of god's work because he recognizes there's nothing in himself that is worthy of praise but it's all in the praise of god so first corinthians 10 17 says but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. And then verse 18, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. So that is what the psalmist is doing here. He is about to boast. And so if there's anything worthy of boasting at all, it is in the great works of God. The psalmist recognizes that it is the Lord in work in him, that there is nothing at all in himself that calls for boasting but he boasts in God's work. He didn't call himself, as we all have account for in, your, in each of our testimonies, we didn't wake up one day saying, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing and just follow God. It is always God in working us that calls us to uh, worship him. And it's also he, God, that also performs these acts in our lives. It is this recognition of God's call and providence that drives the psalmist 
to encourage us to reflect upon God's work for us in praising him also. So not only is God calls us and then provides us the means to worship him, but he also drives us as the psalmist is being driven to encourage us to praise him. James Montgomery Boyce has said about the opening of Psalm 11, if we want other people to praise God, we must praise him first. If we want them to love God, we must love him too. If we want others to serve God, we must serve him. We must set an example. And that is what the psalmist has done. He is setting an example of praising God. And after the proclamation of praising the Lord, the psalmist is now making a declaration of giving thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. So first is the proclamation, now it's the declaration. So in Hebrew, so first of all, let me back up. The psalmist is now making declaration to worship us or to worship God with our whole heart. For he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. So in the Hebrew, the statement, with my whole heart, has the idea of totality, the totality of mind and understanding. And we are to be fully engaged in the worship of God, not just half-heartedly, not with our thoughts wandering. I don't know how many times, personally, I get up in the morning to studying the word of God and my mind starts to wander. Instead, we are to uh, praise God with our whole heart, not with a uh, divided heart, not with distractions, but with the totality of mind and understanding. We are to be fully engaged in the praise of God. Spurgeon said that God cannot be acceptably praised with a divided heart. Neither should we attempt to, to do so to dishonor him, for our whole heart is little enough for his glory, and there can be no reason why it should not be all lifted up to him in praise. So that got me thinking, like, what, what Spurgeon is saying is that even with our full hearts fully engaged in the worship of God, compared to how much he is worthy, is, is just little enough. So why not just give him our whole heart, undivided attention, and do it with the totality of mind and understanding? With our whole heart, we will give praise to the Lord. And it's also with this whole heart that God is to be publicly praised. For the psalmist states that he will give thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright and in the assembly. So it is of great importance to publicly pronounce the praise of God, for by doing so is to glorify God to others and with others as a, as a company. But the psalmist says to do so with the upright. And this is to do so in the counsel of those that are well-pleasing. And that reminds me, it's like, what fellowship does, does darkness have with light? So we are to have that fellowship, that companionship with the upright to praise God. There are two different size groups that we see in this statement. We have the company and we have the assembly. Now the company refers to a small gathering, like a Bible study or a home group, and I have to commend this fellowship for we have 
so many opportunities to practice this psalm. We have uh, home fellowship at the House of Ed, right? We have uh, women helping women. We have so many groups for us to practice this in the company of, of the upright. And then also in this uh, verse, we see that the other group is an assembly. And this refers to a larger uh, congregation as a church service. So corporately worshiping God, corporately praising him, for he is worthy for all of us to gather in unison as his church to praise and to proclaim his greatness. We are not to forsake this opportunity, but it is a command for us to gather corporately to worship him. We are to praise God with our whole heart and not just gathering on a Sunday, but throughout the week as we seek the counsel of our brothers and sisters in these small groups. Uh, Counseling, we are to give counsel to our brothers and sisters and they are to counsel us. And as we do this throughout the week, this will help us to not have a divided heart. Uh, How easy it is for us to come to church on a Sunday, then go throughout the rest of the week with our responsibilities, whether at work or chores, and then our hearts start to become divided because we forget what we learned on Sundays. But if we gather together in those smaller groups throughout the week, this helps us not to have a divided heart, but we are to encourage one another in the counsel of the upright. Verses 2 through 3. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them, Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. So not only should God be praised for who he is, but for what he has done. Here the emphasis is on God's work in creation. In the Psalms, the Lord's work sometimes refers to his deeds as in verse 6, but more often it is the things that he has made. In design, in size, in number, in excellence, all the works of the Lord are great. Even the little themes of God are great, says Spurgeon. And his works are to be studied, literally that means to be sought out, by all who delight in them, for who, uh, for who takes pleasure in them. The greatness of God's work invites us and draws us to wonder and to be in awe of his works. Everyone from the layperson to the theologian to the scientist has taken the time to investigate the great works of God in his creation. James Montgomery Boyce tells a, a story of a science lab that's in Cambridge. It's called the Cavendish Laboratory, and that's named after an English chemist, Sir Henry Cavendish. And what makes this laboratory distinct from all other laboratories? Because above its entrance is inscribed Psalm 111.2. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. So my question is, is who are those that delight in God's work? But it is those who God, wait, but it's those who are God's work. Those are the ones that delight in his works. Those that are his work for he works in their hearts a desire to ponder his work the God whose work is evident in all of creation and witnessed by all who dwell on earth also works 
on the heart of his people and causes, causes them to desire him. And this should be evidence of a great work of God. Some say a miracle, so God still does perform miracles. It's that regeneration of his people, and he should be praised for this. His work is not just limited in creation, though, but it is a great in guiding us and arranging all things, his work of providence. The Hebrew word for work in verse 3 is polel or polel, and it refers to his providential acts. And we read of his providence for his people in verses 4 through 6. For he has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works and given them the heritage of the nations. He has made his wonders to be remembered. In other words, he has fashioned his works in such a particular way to be distinguished from any other God so that they become, his works become a memorial of his majesty. His works are done in such a way that there can be no other explanation or cause other than himself. God's, God designed his wondrous works to be remembered by his people as an act of salvation. The expression wonderful works opens up another line of thought. The word wonders most often refers to his, graving, his great saving acts of God, the great saving acts of God. And we will see this throughout the history of Israel as they are going through the wilderness, all of his great saving acts of salvation drawing them to the promised land. And so what are we to remember of God, of the Lord? That the Lord is gracious and compassionate. The King James Version says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. God is full of these qualities in his being and expresses them through his great works. Matthew Poole, a Puritan and a commentator, said this. God is gracious and full of compassion toward his people as appears from his works and carriage toward us in sparing in pardoning in restoring and preserving us when we have deserved to be utterly uh, destroyed. God also provides by giving us food to those who fear him. And this provision has been seen throughout Israel's journey in the wilderness. Psalm 37, 25 says this, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. So another characteristic of, this, of his care is the fact that God will remember his covenant. He is the author and the owner of, the, of this covenant. This is a one-sided agreement. It is by his works that his covenant is sustained and kept. And God's people are preserved by God's mighty hand. Joshua 24, 17 says, For the Lord our God is he who brought us 
and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs or works in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the people through whose midst we passed. So the psalmist is reminding us to remember that God is mindful of his people and will keep him, keep them. God did not hide this greatness from his people, but declared it to his people. And we read that in verse 6. For he has made known to his people the power of his works and given them the heritage of the nations. So the King James Version says God gave them the heritage of the heathen, <laughs> specifically the, uh, the land of the Gentiles, also Canaan. So Alexander McLaren, a Scottish Baptist minister, once said that two outstanding proofs of divine kindness are the miraculous provisions of food in the desert and the possession of the promised land. So now we look at the nature of God's works. Verses 7 through 9. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. See, all of God's works are true or faithful. They are completely fair or just. All his commands are trustworthy and sure. When he said that he will remember his covenant with his people, it is as sure as done. It has been settled. It's his covenant. Spurgeon stated that he is no fickle despot commanding one thing one day and another thing on another day. But his commands, his commandments remain absolutely unaltered. Their necessity equally unquestionable. Their excellence is permanently proven and their reward eternally sure. Verse 9 says that he has sent redemption to his people. The psalmist may have had the exodus in mind by reminding us that one of God's greatest works is rescuing his people from oppression and sin and doing it in the context of his covenant, of his promises. The redemption described here is for the sake of calling and protecting the whole people for the fostering the, and fostering the conditions under which true piety may thrive. The King James translates, the King James Version translates the phrase, holy and awesome is his name as holy and reverend is his name. The word reverend comes to us from a Latin word rev reverendus or reverendus <laughs> and it is a it's a compound word that means to be feared and this brings us to our application and what should we learn from God's great works in verse 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom a good understanding have all those who do his commandments his praise endures forever See, recognizing the greatness of God's work, one should appropriately fear him 
This is the proper attitude of the creature toward the uh, toward its creator. And wisdom cannot advance any further until the establishment of reverence toward God is laid. Again, I quote from James Montgomery Boyce when he speaks of the world. It is probably a safe bet to say that most people today are not much interested in wisdom. They are interested in making money and having a good time. Some are interested in knowing something and in, in getting an education. Almost everyone wants to be well-liked. But wisdom? The pursuit of wisdom is not a popular idea. And this is what I add. <coughs> that this is one distinct characteristic of God's people apart from the world. That we ought to be interested in wisdom. And in wisdom, I mean the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, I mean to recognize the wonderful works of God. And by recognizing God's wonderful works, I mean to know God. Another quote from Spurgeon regarding fear is that it is not only the beginning of wisdom, but it is the middle and the end. It is, the, it, it is indeed the alpha and the omega, the essence, the body, the soul, the sum, the sub substance. He that hath the fear of God is truly wise. So again, I say that the fear of God is an active application in obedience to God's commandment. And this requires good understanding. Good understanding means considering the greatness of God's works and obeying God. A life of obedience reveals God's performing his great works in regenerating our hearts in our very being, transforming us into new creatures for all his praise and for his glory. And this particular regeneration of God's people, well, we're going to discuss this next time in Psalm 112. I'm reminded of whenever I was a kid growing up in the 80s, watching my favorite shows where you was always brought to the very end and there's that cliffhanger, then it says, to be continued. And that is where I'm leaving you guys at right now, to be continued. <clears throat> but I will say this, not with, but not without ending on this one important fact of God's unchanging character, that his praises endures forever. Taking into account the greatness of God's works, one should praise him and never stop praising him because God's work continues for all eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks, and it's such a privilege giving us the knowledge of you. It is by your grace that we even acknowledge that you exist. We are nothing more than wretches. We are nothing more than sinners, undeserving, and yet we are called to worship and to praise the deserving. For you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the author of the covenant, the promises that you have made to us. And we just honor you and give these praises to you for the one true God. May our application be that throughout the week that we will seek the counsel of the upright, those within our fellowship, to encourage one another and to be encouraged by one another. May our hearts not be divided, 
but may we be in totality of mind and in understanding to give our whole hearts to you throughout the week. May you that called us to worship you sustain us and give us the means uh, and then in, in return give them back the praises that you are due for you have guided us and you are directing us into righteousness. We thank you for this day as the first fruits of this week and in doing so may the rest of the week follow suit. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name, amen.